Yeah, we want to give thanks to everyone who participated in the bake sale last week. Over $800 was raised Woo! for our youth. That's amazing. At the bake sale, $800. What a huge support for our youth, the counselors and the leaders and everyone is going. I so love, um, I so love how the Holy Spirit weaves together a service. And so you're not gonna see this until the message starts unrolling and there's just gonna be teaching and things that are gonna come and support everything that has happened during the worship service. And so I'm excited. Um, for the last several weeks, we've been studying the gifts of the Spirit. It's just been a beautiful time of stirring up the gifts amongst us and talking about them and learning about them. Uh, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Could you show us that, please, Corky? 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. If you want to study that for your own additional study and meditation, we see in chapter 12, there's one one body with many gifts and many parts. And then chapter 13 is love anchors and motivates the use of the gifts. And I was gonna pass out Oreos because um, <laughs> we had talked earlier that love is like what makes, is like the double stuff in between that makes everything come together. <laughs> but I was like, I'm not gonna throw Oreos at people, not today. <laughs> Oh, come on. Okay, we'll pass them around. It's like the communion bucket. Let's just pass it around. Snacks during service. <laughs> They're like, oh, people want them to be thrown. Okay. <laughs> um, so what are the gifts? Just a reminder, the next slide, please. They are gifts of wisdom and knowledge, faith and healing and miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues and interpretation. And just week by week, we've been going through these and look at these specifically. Uh, two weeks in a row, Stanley taught on prophecy and he had preambles and pre-rambles, he called them, remember? <laughs> Today, we're, I'm having epilogues and epilogues, four, four points that I wanna bring just in conclusion. They're kind of miscellaneous thoughts about the gifts of the spirit to finish. But um, before we do that, I just wanna pray and um, yes, Holy Spirit, we've welcomed you in this place. We've welcomed you in our hearts. As we study scripture today and hear stories, we ask that you do deposit something in each one of us by your spirit that we can take from this place to give for the comfort and encouragement of everyone and for salvation and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna start the ending of this series with a story. In the winter of 2022, we took some time after one of our messages to give some prophetic words, to stir up the gift of prophecy. And we invited many of you um, who have expressed interest in prophecy to be on teams and we prayed and we prophesied to one another. So if you are interested in learning to prophesy or prophesying over people or being part of that or just witnessing it, let me know, let Stanley know. And the next time we do it, we'll include you in that on one of the teams. And um, Laura Francis was here that day and she came up for ministry and she was put in a team uh, with Lance Love. They raise your hand, Lance. So as she tells the story, everyone knows who she's talking about. And she's gonna share her story about what happened after that. So can we all welcome Laura up here? 
Okay, you're ready. This should work. Okay, here we go. Hold it close to your mouth. Okay, close. All right, everybody can hear me okay? All right. Might have to wear glasses. I've kind of reached that uh, point. <laughs> We're embracing this aging thing. <laughs> All right, so I want to call this prophetic word a pathway to freedom and redemption is the name of, of what I want to share. So, but I think before I do that, I want to give a little bit of background history um, that kind of feeds into this word that Lance Loveday and Mike Bueller gave me. Um, it's definitely been a journey. My musical journey um, started about seven years old with piano lessons, and then 10 years old, uh, I picked up the cello, and I always loved music from the time I can remember. Um, my mom was a musician, pianist, organist, so there was just always music in the house, and it was always encouraged. And I would say at first I enjoyed performing for people. I enjoyed recitals. Um, but then I think as I got a little older, I realized I was more of a perfectionist. And so that kicked in along with not being wanting to be in front of people, be in the spotlight. And so I began to experience what I would call, what musicians call performance anxiety. So it's, it's beyond your normal butterflies, you know, where you're more excited. This was more like, what if I make a mistake? What if I forget when I'm playing? What will people think of me? Will, I, will they judge me? So I had a lot of fear of failure, like failing in front of others and will mistakes, will people think I'm a bad musician? So this was kind of all going on inside of me. And so I would begin, like whenever a recital or performance came up, I'd always be worrying just days before, like I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. So it was just really, I dreaded it. I really did dread it. As much as I love music, I just dreaded the whole performance thing. And so um, it kind of escalated, continued to escalate into college. So I entered USU as a piano major in 1988. So that kind of dates me. You can kind of figure out how old, how old I am now. Um, the environment there, which is pretty normal, it's very competitive, stressful. It's all about playing perfect, which there's no such thing, but still stressing perfectionism. Uh, there was always this fear of I was never good enough. So, and I almost really didn't pursue this degree. As much as I love music and wanted to be a piano teacher, I think I was really terrified of all the expectations of performing, giving a recital. And so, um, but as much as I wanted to be a piano teacher, I wanted this degree, I'm just like, Lord, you're gonna just have to get me through this. You're just gonna, and he did. It, and he got me through it, all glory to him. I graduated, got through my recital and all the performances, but uh, I would say after that, for the next 20 years, um, I never wanted to perform. I, I just shied away from it. People would ask me, I would just be no, because I was just so worried about making mistakes, being judged. And so I would say though about 10 years ago, so what, 2010, 13, I felt like the Lord really started working on this part of me to kind of bring that joy and that love for sharing music with people, which I really feel like was stolen from me. Um, so and as a piano teacher the last 30 years, I've always had recitals for my students, and I, I wanted them to not experience, not to go through what I went through. And so I'd always talk to my students about, you know, just, just don't worry about mistakes. Just It's the journey, experience sharing music, blessing others. You just work hard and do your best. Just have the courage. Just getting up to perform in front of people is success in itself and not to to not worry about making mistakes and just to be proud of yourself. So I think 
at that point, I really started hearing myself. I'm like, I'm telling this to my students, but I'm not really walking in this for myself. And so I decided to put, start putting myself out there a little more, started playing my cello in recitals and doing a little more on the piano. And I would say this was probably the beginning of for the Lord, kind of a co-labor thing, a team with me and God, like him starting to bring me out and bring me more freedom in this area. But I think I would still get really nervous. I still had that fear of making mistakes. I struggled a bit, still with performance anxiety. I, I still wasn't fully free, but I did start noticing that I would kind of volunteer myself more when people would ask me to play. And I'd be like, hmm, God, God's, God's doing something here. And it was exciting. So now enter in my piano student, Valerie. So we're kind of, um, so I'm going to be kind of going in and out timelines. And so hopefully you can follow along with me here. So my piano student, Valerie, she started with me when she was seven years old until about 18 years old. So about 12 years of lessons with me. So last year, 21, 22 was her senior year. And she had decided she wanted to go to USU, Utah State, where I went. She wanted to be a piano major. She wanted to be a teacher. And so we got through auditions. She was accepted into the program. And she wanted to give a senior recital. So exciting. So we decided on some solos. We wanted to play something together, a duet, because we'd been doing that all these years. And we went through lots of different ideas of what, what we wanted to play. Um, we finally landed on this amazing piece um, so we ordered the music and, you know, started looking at it for, for any musicians out there. This is the piece. It's Mendelssohn, Allegro, Brilliant. And we, we knew we had our work cut out for us. We had no illusion that it would be easy. We listened to recordings. We knew it would be technically musically challenging. It was 47 pages long, so that's about 12 minutes of playing straight playing and um then we read the intro we kind of were looking through it oh let's read about this piece learn more kind of connect to it and so in the intro it says allegro brillant is one of the most challenging pieces in the entire yes it says entire piano duet repertoire and i'm like okay whoa are we crazy? What what are we getting into this? What are we what are we getting getting into? But we loved we loved the piece. We just had a passion for it, so we just said we're gonna we're gonna do this. So started practicing, and of course began I began to doubt. So here comes the fears. I was doubting my ability. It had been thirty years since I graduated from college. I hadn't really practiced. I didn't have the time to practice. I was like, oh, I just can't learn this hard of a piece. Do I even have time to learn this in three months? And so went to Valerie. She's she's a believer. So I just said, I, I'm really I'm really struggling here. I'm, I'm I have hesitations. I have reservations. I have doubts about my own ability. I don't want to get halfway through this piece, learning it, and then let you down. I don't want to fail you. I don't want to have to pull out of it. And I just don't even know if we can learn it well enough to. We wanted it to be an excellent performance. We wanted to give you know give our, give our best to it. So um, so we had a heart-to-heart, -heart, Valerie and I, and we decided together, okay, what is, what is our purpose for this piece? And why, why are we doing this? Why are we learning it? Why are we going to perform it? And we, we came together, and I felt through the Lord just kind of impressing upon us. It was like you just need to enjoy the process. 
make music together, take the audience on a journey, help them feel our love for music and inspire them. And so we are kind of reaffirmed that it's not about perfection. Uh, it's just it's just playing with love and just sharing it. And so I believe that was just another another uh, place along the journey where God was renewing my heart and mind. He was giving me a mind shift, renewing my mind um, about and then reviving that love inside of me to to share share music. And it just reaffirmed this process that he had begun through my student. So I just think that's amazing that he did it through my student. Um, so this is just another step forward. Um, so now we would think, okay, all's right. God's given us this, reaffirm this, except no. I still started doubting. A few weeks in, once we'd made a decision, I began to feel anxious, self-doubt kind of creeping in. And now enter prophetic word. <laughs> this is called the... I I think this is the turning point. I call it, this was God's exclamation point. So, and this, so now we're stepping back three months from where Valerie and I had decided to do this and I'm actively practicing. So step back and actually I have the date written down, March 13th, 2022. So as Sarah shared, prophetic teams at church, felt the Lord leading me to Lance and Mike. And Mike mentioned one of the words he said was, I see joy set before you and you'll endure the hard things, you'll, you'll keep persevering. So I'm like, so at that point, I didn't know anything about this piece at this point. So remember, we're stepping back three months that where I didn't even know this piece existed. So Lance said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm like, I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> Lance said, I see piano keys and a long song, long song. <laughs> It's very hard, but you'll get through to the end. Do the hard practice and learn the peace. So when I first got the word, I thought, hmm, this is probably some analogy for something in my life. And it's not probably a piano because I'm not working on anything. Like, I just don't think it applies there, but I'm sure it has to do with something in my life or something that I'm going to step into when God just wants to encourage me. So it's important to remember at this point, March 13th, 2022, this peace had never entered the psyche. We had not even been looking at it, thinking about it. So I wrote, so I wrote the word down, tucked it away, thinking at some point, I'll know what it means. So forward to me now, struggling with the self-confidence, deciding on we're gonna do this piece. I was sitting there practicing. So this is probably May now, June. And all of a sudden, Holy Spirit, prompts me, you need to get out that word. So I pulled out that word and I just, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was, it was a literal word about this piece and that I was going to struggle with doubt. God knew I was going to struggle with doubt and lack of confidence and I would need confirmation that I would get through it and learn it. And then after that day, I have to say there was another, I never had an internal struggle about it. Yeah, there was a lot of practicing and and hard work involved to learn it, but I really feel it was a supernatural process that God was taking me through. And it was finally, I feel like the final, the, the prophetic word was kind of the final breaking of the performance anxiety, that root of fear of failure, making mistakes in front of people and the judgment. And so I feel I had struggled with that for 40 years. And I feel like that, that word just broke it off me. So, but I think God wasn't finished yet, though. 
God has a way of going, I want to I set you free, but I also want to redeem. I want to bring redemption. So enter recital day, July 30th. So last July, redemption comes full circle. And I, that day I woke up, I just felt so much excitement to perform with Valerie, just to make music and enjoy the, the, the process. No performance anxiety, just none. I even told Mark, we're sitting out. I was like, I just, I don't, I don't feel anxious. I just, I'm like, this is so weird. But I was like, wow, this is, this feels amazing. So here we are. The Lord was not only interested in giving me full freedom, delivering me from performance anxiety, but he wanted me to experience redemption from my terrible anxiety that I had in my own senior recital to now playing in my student's senior recital and having no anxiety. And so we played. It was just amazing to feel just so free, no fear of failure, but just playing for the love of it, which is how I started at seven years old. So that's incredible. So redemption. I'm like, wow, how far, how far the Lord's brought me. It's been a beautiful journey but it's been a very gentle process. Sometimes I'm wondering, wow, wow, Lord, why did it take so long? But he's such a loving father. He takes us at, at the pace we can handle and he encourages us along the way. Each little baby step forward, sometimes we take two steps back, but he never gives up. He never gives up on wanting us to be completely free. And I would say that's, that's my glory story. That's my glory story and how the Lord used a prophetic word to, to bring me freedom and redemption in my life. And I just want to leave you with a quote from Valerie. My student, she bought me my own copy. We were using her copy to practice off of, and she uh, gave me this as kind of a parting gift. We're still in connection with each other. She texts me off and on, tells me the pieces she's learning, and we, we've played together in, at Christmas and stuff. So... I just want to read her, her note to me and how God's continuing on through Valerie, just redemption and, and freedom. She said, Lara, performing this piece with you was an absolute joy. It gave a new appreciation for Mendelssohn and the, the art of collaborating all together. It inspires me that it gave you a new realization of yourself as a pianist. This piece will always have a special place in my heart and remind me of the true purpose of music. I hope to perform it again with you someday. Love, Val. So, thank you oh. for allowing me to share. Yes. Thank you so much, Lara. <laughs> Remind me, how many students do you have? Between 50 and 60. 50 and 60 students of every ability you can imagine. Some are blind, all sorts of needs, and her, um, I'll get teary-eyed because every single studio performance we go to is just like incredible worship, incredible glory to God because of what she deposits in her students. So um, we're just so thankful <laughs> for you sharing that story. So <laughs> Laura, yeah, we can clap one more time. <laughs> we asked Laura um, to play cello last year at Christmas Eve and she's like, yes, and I was like, I've asked her for so many years. And she always said no. And she just had all this joy. And she's like, you wouldn't believe what God is doing in my life. And I've just been waiting to share that story because I want to encourage us 
to share the words, just like we did during worship, share what God is doing in us. Um, there is a scripture in the book of Revelation. John the apostle was writing the church because they were going through hard times and persecution and suffering. And he says, he sees this, he hears this. He says, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. So years, Lara was listening to an accuser. You're gonna fail, everyone's gonna judge you, you're gonna let people down over and over and over again. But John sees this accuser hurled down. And then verse 11, it says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, by telling their stories. The blood of the lamb and telling your story helps you overcome, helps you step in to whatever God has for you. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, there's joy, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Because the devil, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. There's something that happens. This is my miscellaneous epilogue point number one. There's power in the blood of Jesus and there's something that happens when we remember the blood of the lamb and we remember to tell our stories. There's something that happens when we tell the stories of what God's activities, the gifts of God in our life. Laura's story reminds us of the power and beauty of God's gift for us. The first Corinthians 12 gifts did something transformative in her life. Thank God to Mike and thank God to Lance for being willing to just stand up here and say, Holy Spirit, what do you wanna show us for Lara Francis? And then it unlocked something. So 2 Timothy 1, next point, I want you to hear this. Paul the apostle is writing to his spiritual son. He says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. I mean, this is family. This is family. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Paul says, I remember, Timothy, your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. God does not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for, for God. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. So Timothy received these gifts through his natural family, Grandma Lois and Mother Eunice, or Grandmother, Lo yeah, but also spiritually through the laying on of hands. So if you wonder, why do we say, come on up here, we're gonna pray for you, and we say, can we put our hands on your shoulder? It's because we're believing that there's something supernatural that happens when we touch one another. 
when God's presence is with us and we, we pray for one another, there's something supernatural that happens. There's gifts that happen through the laying on of hands. Um, Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame. You guys know how that works when you're at a campfire and you have a little ember and you're trying to get that flame to light up. What do you do? You fan the flame, you blow wind on it, you whistle at it, whatever you do. Some of us toss fluid <laughs> after the competition is over of who can get the fire started. Anyway, fan into flame the gifts God has given you. Other translations say stir up the gifts, stir it up. Lance Love Day, we called him and he, the gifts were stirred up in him. He was available. He said, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here for others. He stirred up the gifts inside of him, which stirred up the gifts inside of Lara, which stirred up the gifts inside of Valerie and all her other 60 to 80 students. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom of heaven. And finally, be courageous. Don't be timid. Expect hardship. Sometimes it takes practice and hours and hours, but stay in expectant resistance. The enemy's upset. He wants to continue accusing you, but no, press on. Don't stop. So that's point number two, fan into flame, the gifts and the spiritual gifts that God gives you. So intro to point number three, approximately 700 years before Jesus arrives on the scene. There's a prophet named Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah tells about what Jesus is gonna look like. And when Jesus finally arrives, he goes to his hometown, he goes to the synagogue, and he's gonna read those words from the prophet Isaiah from 700 years before. This is in Luke 4. Luke 4, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat back down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fastened on him. And what is he going to say next? And he, get, and he says this, he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Ba-boom, they didn't like it. They thought it was blasphemy. But we're not going to talk about that today. Jesus said, this is why I've come. Good news for the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and the oppressed to be set free. This is what we do, y'all because we're his disciples. This is what we do everywhere we go. Now, John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin. John the Baptist was a prophet who announced Jesus's coming. John the Baptist is at this time in prison because he's proclaiming the good news. He's telling everyone about what Jesus has done. John the Baptist is discouraged. He saw, um, when he baptized Jesus, he heard the voice of heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. His whole life was spent on telling everybody but the Messiah was coming and Jesus was it. He knew since he was in his mother's womb, remember? Stanley preached about this. 
Even in his mother's womb, John the Baptist, when he was in the presence of Jesus in his mother's womb, he leapt. Like even in the womb, John the Baptist knew he was the Messiah, but now he's in prison. And to God's point to us through Kelly Joe earlier, sometimes we forget, and through Lara, and through all of our worship service, when we're, in, when we're in that dark place, we start to doubt. We start to question. We start to wonder if God is really good. And that's where John the Baptist is in this next passage, Matthew 11. When John the Baptist had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Do you hear that doubt? Are you the one or should we be looking for someone else? Because I'm in prison right now. <laughs> and then Jesus answers him and says this, go and tell John the things that you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So I want you to see something. I don't know why. I've, God has just had this passage on my heart for weeks. Essentially, Jesus tells him, Isaiah 61, there's good news for the poor. The gospel is being preached to the poor. There's recovery of sight for the blind. The blind are seeing. The oppressed are free. The dead are raised up. Lepers are cleansed. He repeats all of that in Isaiah 61, except freedom for the prisoner. And he says, Blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Freedom for the prisoners. Jesus leaves out the reference to the prisoners and instead says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John the Baptist was a prisoner. He was a captive. He needed freedom. And Jesus says, don't be offended. Don't stumble. I have a blessing for you. I hate this. This is so hard. Wait a minute, Lord. Wait a minute. How does this work? We live in this paradox of pressing into miracles, pressing into signs and wonders, pressing into the gifts of the Spirit, pressing into miracles, pressing into wisdom, pressing in to the gifts of the Spirit, trusting the Spirit to move in our lives, but we need to be prepared for those times. And we need to prepare ourselves for those times when it doesn't happen. We need that endurance for the sake of the gospel. Like, like Paul saying to Timothy, don't be offended. Don't stumble because I'm in chains. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. I mean, we've, we're praying nonstop for Mike and Diane Bueller. For those of you who don't know, Diane Bueller has to go another round of unbelievable surgery this Monday. And we have been praying and praying and praying, and we will never stop praying for her healing. 
I met with someone this week um, who's just in tears because of financial situation, in tears with struggling to trust God for a financial situation. And I remember how that felt. I remember when I didn't do well talking about finances. And I remember going on a long journey like Lara's when finally I felt that freedom from, and uh, the ability to trust God. It was miraculous. But sometimes my friend who I'm sitting with who's crying is there. And I want to say, don't be offended. Don't stumble. Don't stumble when you don't see what you're expecting to see. Each one of us is facing giants. Each one of us has areas where we have to trust in God. So point number three is we don't always understand when and how the gifts of God work, but there is a blessing for us. If we can accept Jesus's words, not to be offended by his timing. There's a blessing there. What is that blessing? I don't always know how that works, but there's a blessing. That's what I'm holding on to when I'm not seeing the full move of the Holy Spirit that I believe for, that I can see in my mind's eye, that is promised in eternity, right? We have that eternal promise, just like those people in the hall of faith that we talked about last week in Hebrews 11. Okay. Story number four, point number four in this epilogue to the gifts of the spirit. I want to read a story from my devotional, the Lectio 365 devotional. And um, it's about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was called the Azusa Street Revival. And so in 1906, there was a one-eyed African-American holiness preacher called William Joseph Seymour, and he launched a 24-7 prayer room at Azusa Street in an impoverished part of town, downtown Los Angeles. It was a multiracial group, and as they grew, so did their spiritual hunger. They began praying day and night, and eventually the Holy Spirit was poured out in such a way with such a power that that revival, the Azusa Street Revival, would launch a worldwide Pentecostal and charismatic movements. Today, 117 years later, most of the world's 584 million Pentecostal and charismatic Christians can trace their heritage daily or directly back to that day. Now, I'm thinking about missions because I know the Lord has always been at work throughout the world. So I'm not sure I agree with that assessment, but that's the impact that they're saying here. And God did it through the unlikeliest of preachers, William J. Seymour. Just for a little history here, this church was planted by a church from Montana that was planted by a church in Alaska that was planted by a church in Seattle that traces its roots to the Azusa Street Revival. That's the impact that this had. William J. Seymour was the second of eight children and he was born to emancipated slaves in Louisiana. He was raised in extreme poverty. At the age of 25, he moved north to escape the intense racial persecution 
from where he was and finding work in Indianapolis, he waited on tables and labored on farms. He began attending a Bible college and received mentorship from Charles Parham, who controversially advocated speaking in tongues. That's something we advocate around here. And yes, sometimes it's controversial. In February 1906, Seymour moved to Los Angeles where he launched this meeting that quickly outgrew his home. When he moved to Azusa Street, the crowds were as large as 1,500, and they all gathered to seek the power of the Holy Spirit. They were hungry. One biographer recalls how in this supercharged atmosphere, could we get the next quote? Brother Seymour generally sat behind two empty shoe boxes, one on top of the other. He usually kept his head inside the top one during the meeting in prayer. So I had a box in my office, but I was like, I'm getting too um, showy here. So instead of imagine I'm standing up here like this, hiding while I preach to you, hiding while we pray. Imagine we had a meeting where we're, the leaders are hiding. Wouldn't that be cool that the Holy Spirit is moving in such a profound way in each individual that the rest of us are just like, do it, Lord, do it. There was no pride there in that old building with its low rafters and bare floors. Of the events at Azusa Street, William Seymour describes how in a short time, God began to manifest his power and soon the building could not contain the people. Now the meetings continue all day and into the night and the fire is kindling all over the city and surrounding towns. Proud, well-dressed preachers come in to investigate. Soon their high looks are replaced with wonder. Then conviction comes and very often you will find them in a short time wallowing on the dirty floor. <laughs> asking God to forgive them and make them as little children. So the final point I wanna make in the Gifts of the Spirit series, opened with Oreos reminding us about love. We spent a lot of time on that at the beginning. I just wanna finish with humility. Humility, where the religious, the preachers, where we humble ourselves those of us who know a lot, think we know a lot about all the Bible things, we come humbly and we just seek the presence of the Lord. It's not, I'm so excited about changing our name to Sego Lily Church. I'm so excited about a new website. I'm excited about the paint. I'm excited about when we can get our sign done eventually. <laughs> I'm excited about all these things, but you know what? They're nothing without love and the presence of the Holy Spirit and humility in this place. It's nothing. Humility welcomes the presence and working of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit chooses the unlikeliest of people to come in and move upon and breathe life upon. So we desperately want the working of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Let's tell our stories so that we can overcome and press on when we're discouraged. Let's raise our hands for one another. You saw who had their hands up. You need to hear stories of God's work. Ask anybody who had their hands raised earlier. 
We want to tell the stories. And in fact, I'm gonna do a series and some workshops on storytelling about God's goodness in the future, coming soon. But first we have to talk about listening. There's gonna be a mini series on listening and then a big long series on storytelling, <laughs> I think. But tell our stories, press on through the resistance, stir up the gifts, fan them into flame. Don't be offended when things don't go how we imagine them. Don't let how things go down be a stumbling block for you. And then finally, stand behind boxes and in prayer closets in humility. Amen? Amen. So to our listeners online, to any guests that we have with us today, um, we talked about Jesus's purpose, good news for the poor, freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, and the oppressed set free. Jesus came to do that, and we operate in that ministry. If you would like to learn more about that, receive that. Would you talk to me? We have a prayer table over here where some people would love to meet with you and pray with you about your needs. The good news is salvation from sin and assurance of eternal life. How incredible is that? How much do we need freedom? Let us know if you'd like that. We'd love to talk with you. Can you all stand and can we finish with a prayer? <laughs> Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for moving in Lara's life. Thank you for moving in the Fontaines and Monica's and the love days and, and everyone we heard from today during worship. Thank you that you are doing miracles. You are at work. And thank you, Lord, that you're with us when we're still in prison too. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us in the valleys and in the mountains. We embrace and receive your work in every space. I bless this congregation. May we go in wonder. May we go hearing your word. May we go hearing your spirit. May we go with the gifts of the spirit wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Greet one another and have a beautiful Sunday afternoon.